dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity. Good size rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. Uh, he's also considered by many, um, including myself, as an original and an old school 
researcher when it comes to the world of uh, Sasquatch research. Uh, our guest this evening is Thomas Steenberg, and uh, really excited to have him on the show. He doesn't join a whole lot of shows. Um, he's pretty quiet. Um, he does have a, a site, um, thomassteenberg.com, um, so check that out. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to get Thomas on the show. Mr. Steenberg, how are you doing this evening? Thank you for joining us. Thank you for asking me. Great to talk to you. Absolutely. It's a, a pleasure having you on here. Uh, and, uh, you know, once again, thank you for joining us. Uh, I know a lot of our uh, listeners have uh, been asking to have you on the show. And uh, so we're excited to have you on. And I know um, we'll have some fun tonight. But for 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 those that don't know you, Thomas, uh, and for uh, our Monster X um, listeners, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? And what got you into um, this uh, the Sasquatch subject? Well, I've been around. I guess, uh, like you said in your introduction, I'm considered one of the old guys now. God, I never <laughs> thought I'd. <laughs> but I, I started in in the in the mid to late 1970s, uh, back when there was quite a few, uh, much less interest in research. Uh, like what I mean is uh, that was before the internet and everything so we didn't have nearly as many people involved in research as we do today and uh, I basically got interested in this subject around the time I was old enough to read Uh, I still remember my father telling my mother don't worry he'll grow out of it but it never happened (laughs) and uh, well what really, really did it was coming downstairs one one night uh, when I was a wee lad in the mid-1960s and uh, going into the living room and my parents were sitting in there watching a movie in the old black and white TV and I remember my mother saying, oh no, he can't watch this, he'll have nightmares. And my dad said, no, no, the boy has an interest in this sort of thing, let him watch the movie. Uh, my father went out, and what was on television was that old classic Hammer horror film, The Abominable Snowman in the Himalayas, starring Peter Cushing. Do you remember that one? Yeah, <laughs> that's a back. Yeah, that basically threw a switch to me and I, it, when it came to the Sasquatch, and I started reading and collecting and, uh, and uh, just scanning bookstores and libraries for everything I could find on the subject right at that point. And then I started after I did uh, when I was doing my time in the military, uh, Canadian military. I uh, started looking into matters because I was in I was posted to Western Alberta in the Rocky Mountains, and I took one look and saw the Rocky Mountains for the first time in my life. I said, you know, there is no wall built between British Columbia and Western Alberta. If they've been seen in Eastern BC, they got to be seen here too. So I basically started advertising in the local Calgary and Southern Alberta press, and it was like. Throwing a switch, so my phone was ringing off the hook. Wow. Yep. And through that, started. I met, you know, I met John Green. I met the late Rennie DeHinden. I met the late Grover Krantz. And I managed to get associated with all these gentlemen. And I was a fellow named the late Vladimir, Dr. Vladimir Markotic, if you remember that name. He uh, he was uh, uh, working at the University of Calgary, and he kind of took me under his wing. He was a senior citizen by that even back then, and basically did the field work while he did the uh, academic stuff. He sort of took me under his wing there, and uh, that's really how I got going. 
Wow. So you moved to the West Coast of BC in 2002, right? Yes, I moved here September 2002. First 25 years or so involved in this, it was in I was in Western Alberta. Okay. Yeah, uh, Todd Standing Country, as people know it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the, and that's why I know a lot of the stuff that uh, Mr. Standings uh, claimed over the years is a lot of nonsense. Mm, indeed. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Thomas, did you have any uh, – did you get along with Grover and Renee and these guys? Uh, did you have any clashes with them or any real um, disagreements with them uh, in, in those I've years? I had a year of disagreements and arguments with all the gentlemen, but I'd like to say one of my achievements in this field – believe it or not, including the late Bob Titmus, was I managed to be friends and do work with all these guys and not get sucked into their personal wars because half the half the time you couldn't get these guys in the same room together. <laughs> but they never held it against me. You know, they never held it against me. Like every time I would visit Renee in Richmond or we'd meet somewhere in the bush, he'd ask me, so what the fuck? say about this or that, you know, and I go, I'm not telling you, I won't, I won't tell you what he said, and I'm not going to tell him what you said, and I stuck to that, so he basically let me off the hook, I loved the late Randy Nandon, and and I like to say, he loved me sometimes, mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, John Green, John's still alive, he lives in Chilliwack now, and he was really my mentor, when I got started, I spent a lot of time with him. Do you, you talk really to him got... pretty regularly? Beg your pardon? Do you still talk to John pretty regularly? Oh, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, I was talking to him the other day. He, he's not he, hes not doing so well. He's, he's, uh, he's 88 years old, and he's not doing so well, but he's still kicking. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And that's in the early years of doing research, that's where I developed my basic philosophy in research. And I know you've all heard me say this a million times, but as the Bigfoot field gets more and more into the uh, realm of the weird and the wonderful, I'll keep repeating it. you got to stick to the facts and mm-hmm. never deviate from the facts and keep that in mind and never assume anything. And unfortunately, uh, I like to say the Sasquatch field today is more of a uh, an asylum being run by inmates than anything else. It's really <laughs> off the rails. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Yeah, yeah. For the most part. Yeah, there there's still uh there are still some uh, I believe some really good researchers out there oh, yeah. uh and people doing things best they can uh with what they got. But unfortunately, uh it's it, just like you said it's being run by uh, you know a bunch of inmates uh and it's yeah, it's yeah. really uh I think um hurt the field uh as a whole and and hurt our our, our you know progress. Um, and being looked at as a serious um, endeavor. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. And you know, the most the most frustrating thing about it is the the inmates seem to get the most attention. 
because mm-hmm. they tell these wild and crazy claims, and of course the press with their tabloid mentality flock to it. I mean, real Sasquatch research is rather boring. You know, right? to the general public, it's boring. They want to hear the sexy monster stories, and that's what the the the, the asylum inmates give them. I have a very <laughs> polite term. I call it Ivan Mark syndrome. You know who Ivan Mark? Right? You remember oh, yeah. him? Yeah. Right. He was the original hoaxer, wasn't he? Yeah, he was the original sufferer of Ivan Mark syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, because Ivan was, you know, it may be that when he first got involved with which was the Bosberg cripple print. Well, now I, even today I have questions about those. Uh, uh, they may have been authentic, but when someone's the center of attention for a while, and then the excitement dies down, they find that they enjoy the attention more than they actually enjoy the research. So they do what they can to remain the center of attention, hoping something for real will come in, you know, in the meantime. But they lose control of it, and it becomes a habit, and it's hard to break. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to forgive me. I live right next to the railway tracks, and here comes another train. <laughs> oh, that's fine. And, yeah, and I totally uh, understand what you're saying there, Thomas. And uh, I think with the social media, that's made it even worse. Oh, of because course. Because they, you know, yeah, they have yeah. their Facebook groups, and they. But I, one thing I notice is there's really a um, overall lack of pure evidence that comes with these these claims. That's true, but you see, to be a researcher, in my opinion. You have to be, we have to be willing to accept the possibility that we are wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it's yeah. absolutely possible that all this is one gigantic mistake and misinterpretation of mythology. I don't think that, I don't believe that. But as a researcher, you have to accept the possibility. If you don't, then you're really more of an advocate than a researcher. You're more like a religious leader trying to push a faith than someone trying to find an answer. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way I look at it. And so you just stick to the facts and never deviate from the facts. And when you interview a witness and you look into the details and investigate the incident and it becomes more and more apparent it's the ones that I can't explain the way that keep me interested. Right, and I know that you had a um, a really good uh, story out of, was it the Crandall Campground in Waterton Lakes National Park up there? Oh, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's one of the best yeah. ones I ever looked at. That's in the extreme southwest corner of Alberta. I was still in Alberta at the time that happened. That was the... Uh, uh, May long weekend of 1988 that occurred. Um, that is uh, the May long weekend. The Victoria Day long weekend is a long weekend holiday in Canada, Queen Victoria's birthday. Mm-hmm. And these two couples. Uh, did, did you want me to go into details in that? Yeah, would you please? Oh, that'd be fantastic. Really, yeah, please. Uh, that's okay. a very creepy story. Oh yeah, they, they, they were camping in Site C3 at Crandall Campground in Washington Lakes National Park. Two couples, two women, two men. Both women were school teachers. Both men were engineers. And Susan Stone, as her and, and, and then husband, 
uh, decide to leave the, the card game at the picnic table and go down the small trail towards the public washroom facilities to brush their teeth. So they grab their towels and, and their toothbrushes and stuff, and they started heading down the trail. Well, they nearly walked into this thing that was standing on the trail about halfway from their campsite to the washrooms. And the first thing uh, they noticed, it made a large grunting noise at them before they really saw it. And, of course, that made Susan on high alert because this area is well known for its bear population, and uh, grizzly bears are common in the area. Uh, And then they noticed this figure standing on, on the trail, and Susan neatly pulled away from her husband yelled something in the area, holy blank, 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 that's a bear, and she went running back to the campsite. But uh, her husband kept his eye on it, and he slowly backed away, and he said he watched the figure, which was basically a big, large shadow in the darkness, walk off to the trail and disappear to the left. So when he got back, in the meantime, the other couple had heard Susan scream, bear, and it was helter-skelter for the cars. They had both cars there parked back-to-back. And they all scrambled in the cars, closed the doors. When her husband came back, he tried to get in the car with Susan, his wife, but she had locked the doors and she wouldn't let him in. <laughs> <laughs> I guess somebody had to be sacrificed. Uh, so <laughs> he, ended up, he ended up getting in the car with the other woman. And then they turned on the headlights of one of the cars. Darren Gillis, the other gentleman who was there, he told them to turn on the headlights of the cars. They turned on the headlights of the one car. They didn't see anything. But when they turned on the headlights of the car that was generally facing the direction that it disappeared, this figure walked into the area illuminated by the lights. And all four saw uh, what they described as a half-and-a-half to eight-foot gorilla-like thing walking on two legs. And it just seemed intent on getting out of the area. And it just walked through the area illuminated by the lights and disappeared in the trees toward Blackstone, on the banks of Blackstone Brook, which runs right alongside the campground. Well, Scott Stone asked it by this time was just stunned, and Darren Gills got a car and said, yeah, and he knew exactly what it was. He said, you know what the hell that was, that kind of thing. And the two men got very excited, and they wanted to get in the cars and go driving around the campground to see if they could see it again. But the two women, they wanted no part of that, and they had to be calmed down. Susan, she wanted to pack up and go back to Calgary because that's where they were from. She wanted to get out of there. But they managed to calm her down after a while. So they all piled into the one car, and they started driving around. Of course, by this time, the subject is long gone. They ended up uh, flashing their headlights at a pickup truck that seemed to be driving through the campground, too. And in that pickup truck, there are three other people. So this actually may be a case where there was actually seven witnesses rather than four because the three other people had also seen something and they were driving around trying to see it again. At least that's what they claimed. Now what happened the next morning, uh, and this is what makes this a rarity, uh, they agree, They all agreed to go in and make a written report to the park's warden office about what they had seen and report what they saw. See, most people, they just tell themselves, and they don't tell anybody in any official capacity about it. Right. They did, and they wrote out, Darren Gillis was the warden at the time. He see, he was perfectly willing just to hear the story and let it go at that because he was trying to convince them. He told me, I talked to him, and he just, he told me these people would not be deterred with anything he suggested. You know, he gave them the usual, could have been a bear. You know, sometimes black bears will stand up their hind legs who are in there begging for food, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
Like you said, they were the most fascinating thing is they would have no part of it. And Darwin Gillis insisted on making a written report. He wanted to put something down in writing. So he did. Not, and that file is still on the, in the file cabinet in Washington Lakes National Park, as far as I know. But my main interest was who were the three people in the other truck? Because I was never able to track them down or find out who they are. And, of course, my suspicions were maybe these three people had pulled something off and were just hanging around to see if their theatrics had been successful. You know what I mean? Right. That's a possibility. But based on all four witnesses, and, and, I, and I interviewed all four of them in detail, it doesn't sound to me like a, a cheap costume attempt. Uh, it almost sounds, sounds too good. And uh, I'm convinced that if the Sasquatch exists, that, that these four witnesses saw one um, on the long weekend of May 1988. Hey, Thomas, were, were any, two questions here. Were any of those uh, individuals armed with a weapon? And secondly, oh. uh, and secondly, oh. Oh. Uh, you you had stated that this was one of the most convincing cases that you have ever investigated. Uh, does that still stand true t- to the state? Well, for answer your first question, is no. As a matter of fact, it is absolutely illegal in Canada right, to carry a firearm in a national park mm-hmm. and a provincial park as well. Uh, if you get caught walking around with a firearm there, you're going to have a couple of big mounties come and pay you a visit very quickly. Um, the uh, no, we, they were not carrying weapons. Uh, this is, I still consider this one of the most interesting cases up until 2008, when we had uh, two different witnesses, right not too far from here, in Bridal Falls Forest Service Road, who reported seeing a creature on the same stretch of Forest Service Road, four and a half hours apart, and they didn't know about each other. Mm. Yeah, that's a more recent case. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Uh, those areas, those areas. Uh, you know, uh, is there any similarity with any of these stories, especially a lot of the reports that you've taken in as to uh, the best times of year uh, to be out in, out there uh, doing research or, or uh, you know, for some looking for an encounter or, you know, or just to do your research, best times of year, you know. Uh, through all your research, have you come to any, um, I won't say conclusions, uh, but any yeah. hypothesis? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, uh, according to my research, according to my stats, it basically contradicts all the other stats you see published over and over and over again. I mean, I've heard it so many yeah. times, the best time to see a Sasquatch is in the Ottoman Fall. Well, my stats don't agree with that. My high summer uh, seems to be the most um, time Sasquatch is spotted by people. But that only could very well be there are more people running around in wilderness areas and out of the cities during the high summer months. It could be simple simple explanations for that. No, according to my stats, you're just as likely to see a Sasquatch today as you are in late August, as far as I'm concerned. You just It's just all a matter of being in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time, depending on your point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, as far as I'm concerned, now people think they got migration routes figured out and stuff yeah. like that. You know, as Rene used to tell, tell, tell me, we don't know a goddamn thing. Because <laughs> 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 every time, every time the, we try to figure something out like that, there's something else happens that blows it out of the water. 
you know, and, and it just doesn't make any sense. And, of course, there is so much hoaxing and stories being made up today by people who are looking for their 15 minutes of fame. And all you got to do is a little bit of research, and you can sound completely convincing as a witness. See, one of the great drawbacks of television programs like Finding Bigfoot is there are a lot of people out there saying, hey, let's do this and submit to the show and see if we can fool them. And I think uh, that happens quite a bit. You know, it's people used to, and it's still the case in Canada for the most part, but in the United States, it's become trendy to say you saw Bigfoot, and that's a big problem. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's very true or not. You know, uh, people are seeing Bigfoot here, Bigfoot there, and then you question them for a while intensely without all the flash and cameras and stuff, and you realize very quickly, you know, this guy is... Uh, He's blowing it out both ends. <laughs> He's making it all up. <laughs> up all the time. But, you know, uh, and and when I started, usually when somebody reported seeing something, they really believed they had. They may have been mistaken, but they really believed they had. Today, I'm three times out of out of four, it's somebody making it up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's, that's why people need to do their due diligence on um, investigating reports. And, right. You know. I mean, let's face it. If, if if I'm wrong and there is no Sasquatch, and it never was, they're all making <laughs> Or they're all mistaken. One of the two. They see, there's only three choices. They saw a Sasquatch. They mistook something or someone for a Sasquatch. Or they're lying. <clears throat> Those are the only three possibilities. There's nothing else. Oh, by the way, in case you haven't figured it out, I'm quickly in the zoological camp. I'm not into this dimensional shape-shifting, traveling between wormholes or whatever the hell else you hear out of there. That. Uh, <laughs> Stick to the it all the time, but with the Internet, it's all over the place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. It's If it exists, it's a, fl- a, a creature of flesh and blood, probably rather scarce, like, you know, not a great number of them, but they're certainly not going extinct, in my opinion. At least not yet. And uh, they're there. They always have been there. And they're just going about their lives and they're, uh, and living out their lives in their wilderness home. And occasionally, they come near people. And, or people and I think more sightings occur when they come near us rather than the other way around. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. They may get a, have a curious. I've had so many witnesses I've talked to who told me if they hadn't looked right at it, they would not have known it was there. It was standing that still. And, of course, as soon as the, the, the creature realized you spotted it, it retreats for the most mm-hmm. part. And you just see the unbelievable for a few moments before it disappears. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the other things I think that's really come about recently is to talk about uh, Sasquatch being super aggressive. Uh, you know, you get both uh, on, on social media and whatnot, you got these fantastical stories of Sasquatch being overly aggressive or super aggressive. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, in my opinion, I don't think the Sasquatch is particularly aggressive, but it is, if it exists, I, I consider it an animal, and an animal can be unpredictable. <clears throat> I mean, uh, any animal that feels cornered, or feels threatened, may react violently. 
I do believe that if we had a, a, a monster out there, we would know more about it by now. I do, however, in saying that, there are people who disappear in wilderness areas every year. And I do believe if you ran into a hostile Sasquatch, you would tend to disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as far as I know, we're not finding people in cabins torn apart and mauled to death or, or mm-hmm. things like that. We don't seem to have a lot of ranchers and farmers complaining about lost cattle and stuff like that due to a, mm-hmm. to a Sasquatch. When it does happen, they usually find the bear sign or the bear that did it or the mountain lion or whatever. I think if the Sasquatch was an aggressive animal that was a threat to human beings and they made a habit of it, we'd know more about them by now. Mm-hmm. That yeah, is my I, I, opinion. I know some places like in Texas and stuff, they say they got aggressive Sasquatch and stuff like that. Well, where are the bodies? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. In what nature? I mean, uh, are people being killed? If right. we got a monster out there, I think we would have records of that, and we don't. I mean, even yeah. David Pilates, his, his people, the people he write about are missing. We have no idea what happened to them. Yes, yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah, and uh, what's aggressive to one person may not be aggressive to another person, uh, you know. So it's it's everybody's take on what they consider to be aggressive, I guess, uh, if, if indeed Sasquatch is behind some of this stuff, you know. They act and they make noises, try, like trying to intimidate you, rock yeah. throwing, bluff charging, and stuff like that. Well, yeah, I have heard of incidents like that occurring. Yeah, mm-hmm. if that if you consider that aggressive, or aggressive, exactly. display, yeah, I guess I guess that does happen more often. Uh, well, not more often, but they, there there are cases of that being reported. But the overwhelming majority is the thing is trying to get away from you faster than you are trying to get away from it. Yeah. We got a got a few questions in our chat room. I'll start with uh, uh, one from Paul Hayes. He was asking, "Have you uh, taken any reports of uh, white or gray Bigfoot um, in some of those areas, or at all?" Well, up here in British Columbia, where I do most of my research, we have had had report of gray tipped. Sasquatch before, rather gray looking. Like the hair is black, but the tips are gray. You know, kind of like a grizzly bear. Uh, that could be a sign of just age, an, an older animal in age. It could be another. I don't have any reports of an albino uh, in my files. Actually, I should take a look back. Some of them I haven't looked at in quite a few decades. I should take a look to confirm that. But no, no, I think if there are any reports in my files of white or a vinyl-colored Sasquatch, it's basically you can count them on one half. There hasn't been that many, oh, at least up in my areas. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. the most common color I have reported is either jet black or very, very dark brown. And, uh, a, a fair number of reddish-brown thrown in, or reddish-colored creatures. Uh, a silver-gray-tipped, uh, some more gray than others, but a pure white one, no, I don't. Uh, right off the top of my head, I don't recall a single incident that I've looked into. Interesting. And you know, uh, another question was, what are your, your thoughts uh, on habituation? That's another thing that's grown over the years of habituating Sasquatch or habituating with Sasquatch. Well, not trying to make the assumption that we're dealing with the inmates in the asylum right off the bat. I've heard right. a lot of 
situations, but it's always a case of take my word for it because I can't give you anything else. And there's, that's a big red flag. Uh-huh. I mean, you may remember the Carter Coy farm a few years ago. Do you remember that in Tennessee? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the woman who claimed they had uh, she had names for them. She said she was feeding them garlic and all this and that. And, yeah. Uh, H. Harrison actually went. I think he bought one of their properties or something. I don't know. But uh, it was always all, uh, but she never produced a single photograph, but she did take a, a photograph of the stick it dropped. <laughs> you know, come yeah. on. I mean, yeah, common sense. Common sense. You know, yeah. oh, I don't want to take a photograph, but then everyone will get excited and I'll be, uh, and my the property in the area where they are will be raided and the poor Sasquatch family will be disaffected. I said, well, then why are you even telling us about it? Right. right. See, I totally agree with that. Yeah, give me a break. This is a, in my opinion, almost all cases of so-called habituation is another sample of another version of Ivan Mark syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Well, and on the flip side of that, um, what about people that, um, you know, what's your feelings on them leaving the food, which is a part of the habituation, but they leave the food and then they assume when they come back the next morning because it's gone that Bigfoot's the one that had to have taken that food. And then if you suggest that one of the other 200 critters that are in that local area might have done it, they tend to get very defensive. I mean, did you guys in the old days, anybody ever talk about, hey, let's go leave some apples for Bigfoot? I mean... Oh, we not. I, I've tried all of that when camera traps and stuff. We've left apples. We've left meat. We've left this. We've left that. And quite often it's gone. But no evidence that Sasquatch did it. That's the big difference. I go by the facts. Other people assume. And when you assume, the odds are you're probably wrong. It's just wishful thinking right. on the so-called researcher's part. You know? Right. He's assuming Sasquatch did it. He can't prove it in any other way. And one wonders why he didn't put a trip camera out to try and prove that Sasquatch did it. No, the apple disappeared. Sasquatch took it. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. great. That's right. Your mind there, buddy. But they, uh, the odds are you got to prove if it did it in fact. So when you've been out there, um, Thomas, have you had any kind of weird experiences um I mean, I hear a lot of different people talking about how they they mind speak with the Sasquatch. Have you heard anybody talking to you, you know, in your mind out there? Have you the Bigfoot trying heard, to relate to you in, in your mind there, Thomas? I've heard a lot of people describe such things, but I have never experienced uh, <laughs> a Sasquatch version of a Vulcan mind melt, if that's what the way to describe it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, and, uh, I've heard strange sounds that I still wonder about and things like that. I may have been within 100 feet of a Sasquatch half a dozen times, but the simple fact is, because I stick to the facts, I didn't see it, so I can't say so. And I never assume a Sasquatch is responsible for anything I've seen, unless I see the Sasquatch doing it. Right, which is... Which is, you know, responsible research. Right. But no, I, I, I've never experienced anything weird or paranormal or anything like that. 
Well, that's not really true. There, there are a few things that I've experienced through the years that have nothing to do with the Sasquatch that some other researcher in some other field might take an interest in. But since it's got nothing to do with the Sasquatch, I don't even think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, you spend a lot of time out there. So, you know, in my mind, if if anybody was to have a, a mind-speak experience with a Sasquatch, it would be somebody that spends literally you know, thousands of hours out there. And, but, you know, that's why I thought I'd ask you because you uh, you do spend a lot of time out there. Oh, yes. Um, uh, well, my ex-wife would explain that quite simply. I don't have an open mind. <laughs> <laughs> she had a number of times. But uh, mm-hmm. the, like I said, I believe in physical reality. And uh, if... If there's something out there, it's flesh and blood. And if, if it's out there, uh, you, it's in your area, you've got to see it. Hearing it doesn't cut it anymore. You've got to see it to confirm that what you heard is what you think it was. Uh, no, I, There have been times, though, where, um, uh, you know, the hair on the back of your neck stand up and things like that. You know you're being watched by something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you have no idea what it is because you don't see it. I've had experience that. That's why I kind of kind of uh, accept the possibility of things like infrasound and things like that. <laughs> but as for tele- telecommunication and things like that and mind connections and all the other weird and wonderful things, no, I I don't buy any of that. It's all a lot of nonsense as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, a well, lot of a lot of hunters. The infrasound. Yeah, go ahead, Julie. Yeah, sound no, on the desk, can't hear, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Animals, some animals can hear it, but it's like a dog whistle. We can't hear it, but they sure can. It drives them nuts. You know, uh, process, though I don't know of any other higher primate that we know exists that does such a thing. The Sasquatch, if it does, would be unique. Well, let me ask you this. When you are out there, have you ever noticed the, the forest go quiet right before? The forest here in the Pacific Northwest is, at least up in Canada in this part, is always quiet. It's mm-hmm. dead silent. You hear yourself think. You hear a buzzing okay. and it hears itself quiet most of the time, unless you happen to be close by a pond or a body of water where there's frogs and toads. See, that's one real big difference between the West Coast rainforest and the forest of the East Coast. We don't have the infestation of insects they do. Like one thing I remember from growing up in Ontario in the bush, it was never quiet. There was always you know, crickets, cicadas, everything. It was always like a symphony of noise around you. But here, it's dead silent for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I imagine Washington and Oregon are the same. As you get further south, I guess when it gets warmer, there's more insect species uh, and more things making constant noise. But up here in British Columbia, it's actually unnerving how, if you're away from human-produced noise, how quiet it is, dead quiet. Uh-huh. Matter of fact, that's one of the things... Uh, when someone says, oh, suddenly all the insects went quiet, and they're talking about here in the West Coast there's something wrong, unless they happen to be near a body of water or something like that. 
Like you hear frogs and toads and things like that going all night long. But in, uh, it, compared to the East Coast, the West Coast is very quiet. Okay. I know that I've heard that as well. You know, people say that looking back when they had their encounter, everything went quiet. Mm-hmm. No crickets, no birds, no, you know, and I always wondered, you know, what would you could attribute that to. Well, you know, when you were in the East Coast, like I took a trip to Ohio in 2000 to speak at Don Keating's conference. Mm-hmm. Going that brought back a lot of memories for me because I have forgotten just how noisy forested areas on the eastern part of the continent were. Even just sitting out in the porch of this house at night, it was just like a serenade of insects constantly going. But when we first walk out the door, they go quiet. And then one starts up, then two start up, three, four, ten, twelve, and next thing you know, hundreds of them are going. <laughs> the same thing when you get near on here when there's frogs. You approach, they go quiet. And then they start start up again, glowing, grind, and next thing you know, you got the symphony going. But there have been a few times I've been there and they've gotten used to me and they're not they're not going quiet because I'm there, that they suddenly go quiet again. And I have no idea why. Hmm. Okay. And as again, the noise starts up, one frog starts up, another one starts up, another one, and they all got going again. And I wonder, well, what caused that sudden silence? Then you hear a stick snap or something, and this is, you wonder what it is. Is it a bear? Is it an elk? Is it a Sasquatch? Is it some kind of marijuana somewhere? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Thomas, you know, I just got back from San Diego and I visited the San Diego Zoo, and I always love to go look at the, uh, you know, the primate exhibits. Uh, you know, I, I love orangutans, and whatnot. But I, I went by uh, the silverback area, and, and they had quite a few um, silverback uh, gorillas in there. And I walked up, and I, I'll tell you what, I hit this smell, and it smelled like the worst bo and burnt rubber I've ever smelt. And there happened to be um, one of the uh, zookeepers there, and. She looked at me. She goes, "You smell that?" I said, "Yeah, she said, that's uh, that's the musk of a the male silverback." And I I had visited zoos. I'm, I visit zoos all the time here in Portland, Oregon. I visit zoo constantly. I've never smelt that before. Um, uh? It was very pungent. And uh, though I never saw the male silverback, he was hiding. I could smell it. A lot of reports uh, talk about hitting. Well, not, I won't say a lot of reports. There are some reports because I think the numbers are small with, when it comes to uh, actual possibly smelling a Sasquatch or reports of that nature. But what are your thoughts on, on Sasquatch giving off a musk, a scent, and have you, have you taken any reports like that? Yes, but I don't – a lot of the older books give you the impression these things stink to, like, a dump all, all the time, uh-huh. right? Yeah, yeah but it, it, I find that maybe one in every ten reports mention any scent or odor at all. Exactly. Uh, but – it's quite possibly, and I noticed in a lot of cases of the people who did report a strong odor, they detected the odor after the animal they were looking at had moved off. Ah. It's almost as though it let off this, uh, like you said, a gorilla uh, musk gland or scent gland, and it may be something they do when they feel stressed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It lets yeah, off a punch that's what gorillas odor. do. Yeah, that's what gorillas do, chimpanzees as well. And uh, 
and it's possible the Sasquatch could be it could be something like that because I've had so many people tell me that they did, they did smell something strong, but it was in, lingering in the area after the creature was gone. Mm-hmm. And there are a few where people said they saw it and they smelt it. And there's a few cases said they that they smelt it before they saw it, and that could be a case of it saw you first, and it felt threatened and it lit off this odor. And maybe I remember Bill Miller and myself once uh, off of, off a road, that an odor hit us like a ton of bricks, and I actually went in the bush to try to thinking I'm going to find a something dead in there. But after about 15 minutes, the smell started to dissipate, but we couldn't say what the cause was it because we never saw any. And I had the yeah. feeling if it was a body or garbage that somebody had dropped off or something like that, the smell wouldn't have dissipated so quickly. So I, I don't know what caused it, but it's definitely a possibility. You know, when people report a strong smell associated with the Sasquatch, I don't think it is, it is as common as the earlier years of research seem to indicate, but it's definitely there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a. Uh, I, I personally have never smelt. Uh, I guess I mean I've smelled some foul things in the woods, but most of it, uh, actually all oh, of it can be explained. I've never come across a, very a well smell like the that. Uh, doesn't smell any different than any other large hair-covered creature that hasn't walked through a river in forty-eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've come across some black bears that stank to high heaven, and I've been uh, within a few feet of black bears that had no smell at all. I yeah. mean. <laughs> Yeah, Who knows? very much stands yeah. for reason. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bob Gimlin has told me several occasions that he and Roger detected an odor at the film site, but it was after Patty had disappeared. Yeah, that's that's yeah. you know it's very interesting. It's very interesting uh, because I, I don't believe that uh, that there are a huge amount of reports of, uh, especially in associated with a sighting that that. There's a smell left behind or an odor in there, but there are a few that are interesting. So. Oh yeah, there, there may also be a difference uh, in 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 climate where the sightings take place. Like here, in the Pacific Northwest United States, like I said, smell is a rare thing, but it does occur. But I notice in reports like the swamps, swamp areas of Arkansas and Texas, they seem to be a lot more common. Well, that could be just a, a, a development they have from the area it lives in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Which, yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things I always thought, like like you said, down south, there's a lot of mosquitoes and ticks and things like that. And I know that um, some, some animals will roll and, and things to to be like a insect repellent. Right, right. Bears do that. They do that up here. Right. I know. Well enough. Of so them. I often wonder that you know the swamps and and in Ohio here we we have a lot of horrible mosquitoes from time to time, and I can imagine something you know wallering and something that didn't smell so well to fight the insects off because the the ticks are just horrible you know here. And I imagine down south they get even worse. So I always thought maybe it had something to do with um, insect repellent. Or their diet, possibly. That's a possibility, yeah. Or uh, and attracted for other uh, mean, uh, some means of communication with mm-hmm. other other creatures of its own kind. Maybe uh, it's uh, 
males do it to warn other males to stay away. But of course, this is all hypothesis. We, we right. just don't. Well, do you, do you think Thomas that Sasquatch is uh, more territorial or nomadic or or a, a combination of both? I mean, I would possibly. Say, of course. I would say probably nomadic. If they were territorial again, just like aggressiveness, I think we'd know more about them by now. Uh, I've had so many accounts mm-hmm. like Hamlets where there hadn't been a report in years, and all of a sudden, for a period of about a week or so, several people see something. And then they stop almost as suddenly as they had started, almost as though a creature had moved into the area, hung around for a little while, and then moved on. And since when gender is noticed, they're usually, it's usually described as probably male. I, mean, I notice a lot of the reports of the lone creature seem to be uh, probably male. Uh, so they may have a, a rather nomadic lifestyle, uh, until they have a family group of their own or something. But again, this is all hypothesis. Correct, yeah. We just don't, we just right. simply, oh, yeah. It seems to make logical sense. So I, and I tend to think that uh, males, just judging by the reports that I've looked into over the years, probably lead a more nomadic lifestyle. I don't think kind, a female. Kind of like a rogue male? Or, I mean, a, a lot of people like to say, you know, <clears throat> Oh, I, I think it was a rogue male. I mean, I'm not sure they even know what they're talking about. But mm-hmm. along those lines, something, uh, you know, like you said, until it comes across uh, others of its kind and, and gets, uh, you know, sort of a family or, or takes a, its own harem or whatnot. Well, I, I used to have a lot of conversations with the late Grover Krantz on this subject. And Grover had the hypothesis that they probably have family groups similar to uh, – uh, orangutans and chimpanzees, or they actually chimpanzees actually have troops, but it may be a case of three or four females uh, uh, with one male, dominant male, who tolerates the daughters, but when the sons get to a certain size, he drives them away. And they go off and they live their nomadic lifestyle, getting bigger, getting stronger. And he said, Grover uh, said, that perhaps when they get big enough, they they take over a family group by driving off the, the, the aging dominant male that's there. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing adolescent males and the gray-haired tip ones are dethroned older males. And they go back to the nomadic lifestyle if they're not killed by the person by the creature that took over the troop. And that's just the cycle. But again, mm-hmm. That is an hypothesis. We don't know. We still got to answer hypothesis number one before we can study all the other aspects of their being. That's confirming that they're actually there. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Do they exist? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, let me ask you, Thomas. Do you take reports of? Um, have you taken many reports of, like, say, a Sasquatch with an adolescent with it, or is that? sort of a rare thing it's not common but it does happen and a lot of people assume when they see a large one with a particularly small one there's they're looking at a female with a young one had an interesting case just last year in north of bc where a guy parked trying to get a snooze and a pull out he saw the young ones first they were hanging around his car and he was looking at them 
What well, you say? Two of them? Pardon me. He had. There was two young ones. Two young ones, and then he saw the large female that they seemed to run through, and then this large one he took to be the male, which was over eight feet tall, came walking on the opposite side of the highway, made a barking noise and stuff, and they abandoned him immediately, and they all disappeared. And so as though. Uh, hmm. Daddy didn't like what the kitties were doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. That's, that was his impression of the whole matter. And, wow. And, and they all disappeared. And as soon as the big male came in, the view. But it, it's, I'm, I know of another case where uh, well, someone saw a two small ones and a larger one cross the car in front of him, and he assumed that it was a female with young ones, but he said the young ones were were about six feet tall, so maybe it was just a male with two young females, or who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been cases of females I know of were seen carrying what appeared to be infants and things like that. That has occurred as well, yeah. Huh. If, yeah. And if the Albert Austin story, one of the classics, is true, that would seem to... Uh, Strongly indicate they live in family groups. Yeah, what do you? What are your thoughts on that story, Thomas? It's a classic tale. There's no way to prove it one way or another. I tried for years. Did you? Yeah, in the 1980s, I had an idea. I had an idea. I uh, I went up and I tried to figure out what companies were working in the Salmon Arm of Sheldon Inlet in 1924 because that's where. Osman, according to his story, he came out of the woods and was picked up by a logging operation, was looked after for a couple of days before being sent back on a steamer to Vancouver. I uh, I said, well, sometimes logging companies keep log books. If I could find a log entry where they find a lost prospector, that was that could very well be an Albert Osman. Because he, he point. said his story. He never said what happened to him. He just said he was a prospector and he got lost. And uh, But I looked through the logbooks of three companies that were operating in the Shell Inlet area, in the Salmon Arm of Shell Inlet in 1924. Not one of them mentioned finding a lost prospector coming out of the woods in 1924. But then I found out that in the Salmon Arm of Shell Inlet, there were over 14 logging operations going on, and, and hardly any of them even bothered to keep log books. And in the greater Salmon Arm area, there was over 40 logging operations going on in 1924. So, again, the odds are maybe I just – there was no record kept or I haven't found it, but, but I did not find any mention of a lost practice being found in the Salmon Arm of Shelt Inlet in 1924. Another thing is, according to Albert Osman's story, it was an elderly first native gentleman who originally boated him in to Toba Inlet. And he actually stayed there the first night and had a meal with him before he went off. And this elderly First Nation gentleman was supposed to come back and pick him up in three weeks. Well, I often wondered, what did that gentleman do when he came back and couldn't find them? Did he report it? Did he report it, or did he just write them off? I don't know. All I know is in 1924, no one can seem to answer me who would even receive such a call in, the, uh, at that, in that remote area at that time. But so that, yeah, that came up blank. So I thought, gee, if you reported to the RCMP, 
there may be a record. He said, well, shit, if there was a record of a missing person that long ago, it probably wouldn't have been lost. And he's, uh, none, none of the present-day RCMP can even tell me who would have been called in that area in 1924. Yeah. I think it was basically back then, it was like if you were in the bush up the B.C. coast in those days, it was basically every man for himself. Yeah, I would tend yeah. to agree. Yeah. Thomas, in all, all your years of research, uh, whether in the field or investigating reports, uh, have you taken any reports or found any evidence of bedding areas, nesting areas? I mean, I would assume Sasquatch has to sleep, and uh, whether they're nomadic or, or territorial, uh, you know, all hypothesis, uh, but have you come across any reports or found any evidence that they do make nests or bedding areas? I have seen so-called nests. I have seen so-called bedding areas. I have seen so-called stick structures. What I have not seen is any evidence whatsoever that a Sasquatch is responsible for it. Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, I, as I'm concerned, that is just a theory or a hypothesis that over the years has taken on a life of its own and it never should have. Because mm-hmm. people right. coming in today uh, almost hear this and they accept it as almost established fact and gospel when it, it, it never should have. Right. I have yeah. seen a lot of reports of people seeing Sasquatch. I've seen a lot of reports of people finding beddings and nests and shelters, but I have yet to hear one reliable report of someone seeing a Sasquatch in a nest or in a shelter. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Wait, it- yeah, absolutely. I, I would think that uh, that'd be. Uh, I, I would. I would assume, um, you know, that if Sasquatch does uh, bed or make nests, that they would be very hard to find. I would assume that they would not put them in an area to be discovered, especially if they're they got a family and, and little ones. Uh, they wouldn't just you know go next behind your Walmart and build a nest or a bedding area. <laughs> the old Albert Austin described was basically weave. Uh, mats out of uh, vegetable material that were more weaved due to long-term use than any any kind of uh, uh, construction by the creatures themselves. And uh, a lot of these so-called shelters, um, well, they wouldn't keep the weather off a chipmunk, so I don't know why a Sasquatch is even bothered. Uh, and, yeah. you know, with Todd standing and all his stuff and stuff like that over the last years, doesn't anyone ever ask why every one of these shelters he's fine is like 30 feet off a cut line or 30 feet off a dirt road? Yeah. You know, when they cleared the cut line in the first place, they throw the trees left, right, and center. Some of them get caught, get tangled up. And they got machines, the lodgepole pines, they don't need to cut them. They got a machine that pulls them right out of the ground, so that's why they're not sawed. And... Uh, uh, sometimes construction workers, they make a shelter, they put a bunch of poles together, and they put a tarp over it, and they have barbecue burgers, and when they're over, they take their stuff away, they take the tarp, and they leave the sticks. I mean, there's all kinds of other explanations for these so-called shelters. When I posted about that on my blog site, I got a lot of angry replies, and people send me videos, how do you explain this, how do you explain this? And one said, well, what else could have done this? I said, people, why do you say that? Well, there's a boot there. <laughs> Maybe an old beaten boot, but you got evidence of people, not Sasquatch. Right, yeah, and, right. and they were there. 
you know, they they, yeah. they came across it, so there was evidence that humans could be there. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like the famous uh, Walker video. They keep passing up. Now, i got to admit, the figure seems unusually tall, but I think it's probably a tall man basically throwing a fit because he doesn't understand why all these strangers are in his camp. I mean, this so-called shelter that looked at, if it was a Sasquatch, he used wax packing cord like the post office uses to wrap up parcels to put it together, and he also made a fire pit. Right, yeah. right. <clears throat> it, it, those those stories drive me nuts, too, in a lot of ways, because I would... You know, I said uh, assuming uh, a lot of things and just hypothesis and thinking, you know, you're talking about something that's built to, uh, I mean, uh, live in the woods. Uh, shelters don't make sense to me, per se. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, making a, a temporary bedding or grabbing some stuff and making it a little more comfy. You know, bears do it. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of animals do it. That makes more sense rather than a shelter. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. First thing, if you find something that looks like a shelter that's been put together, like, very roughly, the first thing you got to do, uh, I found this out, too, uh, once in Alberta, is find out if there's a military base nearby and if they do any training in the area. Viable training and things like that. Sure enough, I found out, yeah. Battalion uh, 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 in, in, in CFB Calgary came out to the Burt Timber Creek area to do uh, survival training. He said that's the basic reason there was a general lack of rabbits because they'd all been stamped by the troops to feed them. <laughs> <laughs> that's who was leaving these shelters there, which was actually uh, was the wrong thing to do because they're not supposed to leave any sign that they had been there, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One the, uh, said, so you found some shelters. Where were they? Where exactly? <laughs> Why, am I getting somebody in trouble? Maybe. <laughs> Oh, gee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thomas, you also mentioned stick structures and sticks. And, you know, there's a. I, I, I've come across. This thing. We gotta I'm sorry, go ahead. A bigger part? Yeah. Oh, if we gotta, we're going to say Sasquatch does this activity, we've got to find evidence to confirm yeah. that Sasquatch does this kind of thing. Right now, all we're doing is assuming it. It's yeah. the same thing with twisted trees. I remember when that whole thing started. Titmus suggested that in the early 60s as a possibility. Yeah. But through retelling and through time and other stories and people telling it again and over time and people find another one, blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, every document on television is saying Twisted Trees is a, is a, is a uh, marker left by Sasquatch. Well, that's never been established. It's never been confirmed. I've no no one account where someone actually claimed to have watched the Sasquatch twist a tree. Yeah. But yeah, yeah just, I haven't heard of either. Yeah, they're yeah. just assuming it and don't assume anything. Yeah, it, I, I think some of those things are important to document, uh, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> without assumption. You document mm-hmm. uh and you move on. Uh you find predictability or commonalities in the in the, you know, if you can See something happen more than once, um, and not come to conclusions. But you, you document it. That maybe after time, you can uh, get a better picture of what you're dealing with or looking at. You know, is this human activity? Is this some animal? Is it weather, snowfall, uh, lightning strikes? The whole thing. Uh, but to assume automatically, like you said, uh, is is very uh, shortcoming and doing you more harm than good. Right, and I've seen. 
I've seen nature out here do strange things with trees and debris. It's uh, it's uncanny what you find out there that has a perfectly logical and rational explanation. But you look at it and say, well, now, who would do that? Well, people wouldn't do that. It had to be Sasquatch. Yeah. You know, and they're assuming so, and they shouldn't. Well, let me ask you this, Thomas. Um, here in Ohio, you know, we have a lot of game trails. Um, but, you know, like in the winter time, all the leaves are gone from our trees, so everything is pretty evident. Um, my my thinking is some of these quote-unquote structures I have found close to um, game trails. Uh-huh. And the thing that I would, if any reason something would create a structure would be to um, hide its form while it's, you know, waiting to ambush prey as it comes down the the game trail mm-hmm. rather than building it for um, shelter. So, you know, that's, that's one thing I kind of maybe consider would be a blind, it, if you will. It is a good hypothesis, but that's what it is, an hypothesis. You've got to find evidence that the hypothesis is correct. Right. And, right? I, you know... Just seeing all these. I'm not saying that it's nonsense that all these structures and nests are not Sasquatch associated. You gotta find evidence. The problem is too many people are assuming so and passing it off as fact. And it's well, not, and I've never seen one before, and I've never seen one um, building yeah. one. So, <laughs> you know. Again, yeah. Again, it, it, you gotta. We need evidence. There should be some evidence of something around there did it, if it was an animal. Most of these things, I have found the claw marks in the ground when the black bear had been pulling it up. I have found tracks around the, the outside. It turned out to be black bear again. You know, That's evidence that a bear was there. there I found no evidence that a Sasquatch was there. What about feeding habits? Uh, do, you, do you believe Sasquatch could possibly, I mean, would they be omnivorous, uh, herbivores, uh, especially dealing with, uh, uh, you know, reports from people? Uh, I mean, obviously there's no real evidence as to, you know, what they eat. Uh, but, you know, any ideas or hypothesis on that? I tend to go along with the omnivore theory. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, it's it's like a bear. It's it's Its diet is probably 90% vegetarian, and ten percent meat. Uh, I've I heard a lot of accounts of Sasquatch killing small things, raccoons, rabbits, fish, of course, you know things like that. I have heard of Sasquatch scavenging on larger things that were already dead. I have heard very few accounts of Sasquatch, at least what I consider reliable accounts, of Sasquatch killing large game, even though they are definitely physically capable of doing it, they don't seem to be naturally equipped to do it. Like what I mean by that is they don't have claws, they don't have large canines, but they certainly have the strength to do it. And they obviously have the speed and cunning to do it. But I don't think they make a habit of it because, again, we'd have ranchers and 
farmers reporting missing cattle every year uh, uh, and things like that, and that doesn't seem to happen. Yeah, which would be easy pickings in a lot of scenarios. E- easy, easy picking, correct? Um, yeah, and uh, that doesn't seem to happen. So I don't think if they do make a habit of killing large game, I don't think they make a habit of it. But they are likely to scavenge like it. Hell, I even have a few stories where they're scavenging in people's garbage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the dumps here in B.C. used to be a great attractive for bears and stuff, and there were a few reports of Sasquatch in the 60s and 70s. But in the mid, uh, mid to late 1980s, all the dumps were basically in British Columbia. All the open pit dumps were basically closed. And they're all fenced off, and they and, and you got to drive in, you got to pay to drop off your garbage nowadays. And they're all put in containers and taken away to be incinerated somewhere. The days of open pit dumps in Canada, in British Columbia, are going there and uh, driving up to the dump at two o'clock in the morning because you're hoping to see a bear are gone because they can't get near the place. And the biggest reason for this decision on open pit dumps was the fact it caused what we called spoiled bears, and bears became problem bears. Uh-huh. And that's why that was done. It was started in the national parks and the provincial parks, and then it was just done province-wide. So there are no open pit dumps anymore. There are a few illegal ones for people who don't want to drive all the way to the legal ones and pay the fee. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, they're yeah. gone. Yeah, they're gone. Mm-hmm. And Sasquatch, even though I've heard of them scavenging on large game i really have don't have too many reports of them in british columbia or uh, western alberta of them killing large game mm. uh though I, I have no doubt if they wanted to they probably could <laughs> but uh, oh. i don't think they make a yeah. habit of it. yeah because uh, i think if they were if, if they made a habit of it, uh, again like certain other things we'd know more about them by now yeah i agree uh once again uh what about Bigfoot and dogs in their relationship? A lot, of, and not just with dogs, but canines. I mean, coyotes. A lot of people report, um, you know, it's mostly around vocals, which is kind of yeah. funny because you know, coyote sound uh, can make a number of intriguing and and weird sounds. But any uh, Bigfoots don't seem. I mean, from reports, don't get along with dogs in general. Uh, though some people will tell you otherwise, but coyotes in, in the relationship there, a possibility of a, uh, a, a relationship is, is interesting. Well, coyotes uh, probably react to Sasquatch the same way they react to any large animal. They run away. Uh, <laughs> they go with it. <laughs> uh, domestic dogs, it seems pretty obvious that the Sasquatch and domestic dogs don't get along. But then again, I don't know of too many wild animals that get along with domestic dogs. Usually a dog will either crouch in fear of a, of a, a Sasquatch or they go and harass it. I know of two accounts in the Chehalis Reserve here in Mission where the dogs, dogs were, even though this was not witnessed, the dogs were killed. Hmm. In one case, the dog was literally smashed against the side of a large boulder. Almost every bone in its body was shattered. That was back in the early 1960s. Wow. Uh, they heard the dog. They heard the dog go after it uh, when when the, someone said they saw a Sasquatch, and 
all they heard was a tremendous yelp of agony, and when they found the dog, it was bashed up against, it was at the base of a large rock that had been basically thrown against or swung against or whatever. Uh, there are a lot of counts of um, dogs being having their hide ripped off. Um, people assume Ashquatch did it, and it's mm-hmm. possible. Uh, but no, uh, when it comes to domestic dogs, I think the Sasquatch is just like every other wild animal. They don't like them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Once, yeah. Once again, that would stand the reason. Uh, they bark and they, you know, they give off senses and. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, would make a lot of sense. Coyotes, uh, you know, if there is any sort of symbiotic relationship, uh, I, I would, uh, you know, hypothesize or you know, think about the, the possible relationship. In fact, that they're they're they act like scavengers a lot of ways. Yes, they do hunt, but they do like to scavenge. You know, Sasquatch. If it does they come across, or <laughs> they stay off in the distance. They wait for the big guy or the big bear, or the big whatever it is, to finish, have its fill and move off, and they'll go on and uh, and take back, take what they can of the pickings. Yeah, kind of like uh, a crow. A crow yeah. in the woods, on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And coyotes, uh, with, the, with uh, wild wolves and stuff, they know they're outmatched, so unless there are a large number of them, they won't try to tangle with everything. Yeah. Yeah. Thomas, this time of year, you know, a lot of people, I mean, you're a full-time, year-long researcher, whether in the field or whatnot. This time of year, the, these kind of these winter months, um, what are you looking, uh, where are you looking for Bigfoot? And, and you know, I, I mean, you out in the field, uh, you know, where would you be right now if you were out in the field uh, this time of year? Well, most of the time, we're going out tomorrow again, and uh, we're We've been spending a lot of time along the riverbanks and stuff this winter. It's it, the salmon runs are over now, but in the early part of the winter and late fall, the, the, there's a lot of salmon in the rivers here. So we figured uh, there's no reason the Sasquatch doesn't take advantage of this harvest too, just like everything else does. Mm-hmm. And so we've been going up and down, mostly in the uh, well. I'm not supposed to say where because we don't we don't want some hoaxes yeah. to go down there, but. Uh, We've seen a lot of indication of uh, salmon being preyed upon by, like I said, bears, coyotes, wolves, other things, even a, even a few mountain lion tracks. So far, we have not found a Sasquatch print <laughs> yeah. in mm-hmm. where the salmon rivers are, or at least where we've been looking. That's what I've been spending a lot of time at, uh, down by the riverbanks and stuff like that, because Sasquatch is no different than anything else. It has to eat and it has to drink. So if there's a water source and a food source, that's probably the best place to look. But so far it hasn't panned out, so maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> and you're willing to admit that, which is awesome. <laughs> yes. refreshing. <laughs> I started looking in 1978. That was how many years ago? 30. And in all that time, I may have had a fleeting glimpse myself only once. Well, tell us about that, Thomas. All right. That was 2005. I was taking a fellow named John Miles. He's the watchman at the logging camp up 20 Mile Bay on Harrison Lake, the west side. As we were coming down around an area that was just devastated last summer by that huge forest fire we had here. But as we're approaching uh, the last big dip through the valley before hitting the turnoff to 20 Mile Bay, 
The road runs right beside a power line. A large high-tension uh, electric power lines that run uh, where they've cut a cut line through the wilderness to put the power lines through. About a mile distant on the other side of the valley and near the t- top where it crested, I saw a figure walk from the center of that cut line to the trees on the right-hand side. He was obviously very big because the distance was extreme. But he was far enough away that I couldn't see any details. All I know is he was upright, walking, and he was jet black in color, right? And I basically saw him from the knees up because he was either in the in the foliage he was in or he was just over the top of the crescent up. I could see him walking from the knees up. And it only took him a few seconds to, to walk from the center of that cut line to the trees on the right-hand side. Now, the reason why I say possible sighting is, like I said, the facts are I saw a figure. The facts are it was too far away to positively identify. And the facts are I can't say with 100% certainly it wasn't a big man up there, though what he was doing there I, w- I would never know. So if that was a Sasquatch, I have seen one. If it was not a Sasquatch, I still have not. Well, how? what was the height you estimate on that? I have no idea. He was too far away, but he was big. Because mm-hmm. let me tell you, uh, people in the same spot, I can barely see at all. And this stood out clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm going by my memory. And memory plays tricks on you, too. Right? We all have had it. We've gone to areas we remember well as children. We go back there when we're adults after we've been away for 20 years, and you can't get over how small the place is. Yeah. You know, or how different yeah. it is, or how the layouts change, or, geez, I thought that rock was bigger than that. You know, quite frankly, the image that I have in my mind of this figure that I saw in 2005, if my memory is accurate, it was big even for a Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. That's big. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the picture I have in my mind by what I saw. See, I'm not. I'm, I kind of wonder. Maybe it's being altered a little bit through time, because people in the same spot you can hardly see at all. Though I got to admit, I have not tried an experiment with a seven-foot guy or something there, because it t- takes a hell of a lot of effort to do that. And mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. I, I I got the image of what I saw in my mind. It only lasted a few seconds. I thought, my God, if that was a Sasquatch, I saw he was even big for a Sasquatch. What were you doing at the time? I mean, are, I was with your research, home. are you, yeah? I, I, I never, never turned down a chance to go into the bush. And John Miles, his truck was broken down. He asked me, I was driving my old Land Rover at the time. He said, you think you can give me a ride up to 20 Mile Bay? And I said, sure, hop in. And we took him up. And it was just approaching the turn off to his place that I saw this figure. And the only thing I remember is I pointed to John I said to John, did you see that? And he said, yes, I did. He saw it, too. And uh, if that was a Sasquatch, like I said, I've seen one. If it wasn't, I still haven't. <laughs> so many reports, uh, and the vast majority of them seem to come from people when they're driving in a car, uh, whether it's yeah. a roadside crossing or down a logging road. Uh, do, do, does any of your research reflect that? Oh, yes, most of them are. Uh Sasquatch sightings occur when they come near people, run the other way around. If you look at my map boards here, my study here, 
almost every pin is either along a roadside, a Forest Service roadside, a shoreline, a riverbank, in other words, where people are to see them. Mm-hmm. And yet there's vast areas on this map of solid green where there isn't a single pin. And that's not because there's no Sasquatch there. That's because there's no one there to see it, let alone report it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. In, so, in yeah, your research... Uh, in your research, do you, I mean, how do you conduct your research? Are you the type that goes out there and knocks on trees and yells and whoops and no. and, and that sort of thing? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Please don't. I figured. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> I don't howl at the moon. I don't knock on trees. I don't do any of that stuff. Because to me, all you're doing is letting everything around know you're there. Uh, there's no evidence that any of these sounds are Sasquatch is responsible for because, again, they don't see what's doing it. We mm-hmm. had a rash of, of recordings of animal noises on the Chehalis Flats in 2006, and I've got it listed as the Chehalis sounds that we were very interested in because uh, this caused quite a stir when I announced this when it happened. Mm-hmm. The she- oh, you remember it, do you? Oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember it. Yeah, yeah, the Shehala sounds, and the reason we were interested is they were the exactly like the Powalik recordings of the late 1960s, the Shahomas recordings of 1979, the Klamath River recordings of 1993, and these are all sounds that I would have bet money on would eventually be proven to be Sasquatch in origin because we just couldn't figure out what did it. Well, on April 5th, 2006, I saw what did it. It was a coyote. It looked like invisible hands were squeezing this creature's, this animal's guts when it let out this incredible cry. And I've been around coyotes my whole life. I thought I knew every noise a coyote made. I'd never heard this sound come a coyote before. And what I think it was is a location cry, because when a second coyote came bounding out of the bush, it looked like a happy reunion between two puppies because they're jumping all over each other, and off they went, happy as clams. And they all both reverted to that yip, yip, yipping type noise we've all heard a million times. Mm-hmm. And to me, not only does that explain the Shehala sounds, it also explains the Shahomas recordings, the Klamath recordings, and the Poala recordings. I said, you're more likely... They were more like a recording of rarely heard coyote call. And anyone who uses this in their call blasting attempts are probably just getting other coyotes calling back mm-hmm. without even realizing it. And right. Do you utilize any sort of uh, software or anything? I mean, do you use like Sonic Visualizer to look at some of these uh, calls? I mean, is it possible that Sasquatch make very similar calls? I mean, obviously, of course, I guess you could say it's possible. Um, there, 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 that, there's only one set of recordings that I'm aware of that could possibly be uh, Sasquatch in origin by the odds. I mean, there's a lot of strange recordings that we just don't know what did it, so Sasquatch is definitely still on the list. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It was a set of recordings in the mid-'70s in, in the Lummi Reserve by Deputy Sheriff the late Kenny Cooper who recorded these noises, they didn't see the animal make the noises, but they watched the animal disappear into the trees, and these noises came out of the trees just after the animal disappeared. And it was recorded over the police mic on a dictaphone back in the tribal 
police force headquarters. Uh, Kenny Cooper, he changed his, he, he adopted a lummy name that I couldn't begin to pronounce. He, he's passed away now. He, he died a few years ago. And those sounds, I think, are definitely, probably, at least 90% Sasquatch in origin. And that's, of course, assuming the Sasquatch does exist. That's why I leave the 10% off. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if and there's other recordings, strange recordings, that I still wonder about. I have no idea what did it. Could be a Sasquatch, right. but there could be other explanations, too. You'd be surprised what noises animals make. Oh, uh, yeah. And when it, it, especially in the United States, when uh-huh. these expeditions go out in these call-blasting expeditions, the first thing they got to do is make sure there was no other expedition within five miles at night. <laughs> 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 Just call Sometimes back and forth, right? You're hearing right? each other and you're calling back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A- animals do make a number of strange sounds, including, you know, owls and coyotes and uh, yeah, elk but again, and, uh, the list really, on and on. even it is a Sasquatch. <clears throat> you don't see it, so the hell what? Yeah. You know, yeah. or you've got the noise. The noise in the dark, or a noise in the wood, is just that. A noise in the dark or a noise in the wood, unless you saw what did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about uh, Sasquatch right. traveling? Do you, do you think, one of the questions in our chat is, uh, do, you, do, you, do you think Sasquatch uh, may utilize cut lines for travel, you know? Well, I think anything. Uh, uh, well, uh, you've heard the term, the path of least resistance? Yes. Sasquatch don't seem to care about that, because what they considered easy, we'd probably look upon as very hard. <laughs> <laughs> but I think uh, Sasquatch would take advantage of something. You know, there's no reason why, if there's no people around. But the first set indication of noise or something of approaching people, it dashes into the trees and disappears. Maybe yeah. watches by. And uh, and when you're out of sight, it carries on on its way, or it decides to go through the trees to avoid any other people. Who knows? Yeah, But I have no reason why it wouldn't use them. Mm-hmm. Well, I imagine as large as they are, they need to um, maintain their caloric intake and not, you know, expend it unnecessarily. So, would make sense to, like you said, get on the path of least, least resistance. It, it makes sense, but then again, what we consider least resistance may be nothing to them. You know what I mean? This creature mm. seems to have the ability to travel through thick bush and mountainsides and hillsides like we move through air without much effort at all. Uh, I've seen bears do that. You know, they walk along the path of least resistance. Then mm. I see a bear climbing up and going over deadfall that it would take me... 30 minutes to climb over and under this stuff, and the bear's up there in five, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, they live there, you know, they're they're acclimated to that environment. and Yeah, they're we, acclimated we to that environment. Yeah. Sasquatch may be intrigued by a cut line because, like, whoa, I can see farther. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going that way. Let's take advantage. We'll go down this way to the encounter something, you know? No different than any other thing. Yeah. One of the, uh, I guess, a question I've been leaving uh, until now. Uh, a lot of you know, a lot of people wonder, and, and once again, it's it's uh, very 
open-ended, uh, and there's no real right or wrong answer at this point. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on Sasquatch? Is it more human-like or more ape-like? Or you know, I mean, obviously, you know, humans are in the, the realm. Of, we're all primates, but is that I, I more ape-like attributes, or do you think it's along, more human? Yeah, I definitely go along with the uh, higher primate hypothesis. In mm-hmm. other words, the great ape. I definitely in that camp. However, I'm willing to be convinced that I may be, I absolutely admit here I could be wrong on that. But as far as I'm concerned, the evidence overwhelmingly points to a higher primate. That the creature is here, it lives here, it's just a creature of flesh and blood. They're not, I don't believe they're human or semi-human. Because if you look at their behavior, it's more ape-like than human. Uh, Dutchess based on all the eyewitness accounts. Now, that could be wrong. I, I, I fully admit I could be wrong there. That's why when someone says they think they're primitive people and stuff, I don't argue with them too much because I admit that they could be. There's a there's a chance they may be right. But uh, I, I don't believe that. I tend to go along. I still I go along with the late Grover Kratz's uh, uh, continuation of the Gigantopithecus black eye theory. But again, that's an absolute hypothesis again. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> that, that, yeah. That, I mean, I've seen, I've seen no reason to leave or divert from, from that point of view so far. Uh, to me, uh, I don't think we're dealing with uh, forest people or uh, humans or Neanderthals or anything like that. But then again, I'm talking about the Sasquatch. I don't believe the Sasquatch and the Almisti in, in, the, in parts of Russia, Mongolia, it's the same thing. Just like I don't think the Sasquatch and the Yeti are the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they don't sound the same. There's a lot of different uh, variables there in reports, but uh, and definitely um, some anomalies in those reports that would assume, you know suggest that they're completely different entities if they exist at all. Uh, mm-hmm. But what are your thoughts, Thomas, on the state of research today uh, we kind of touched upon this earlier in the show but where are we is are we moving forward or behind or are we at a, a you know a lull in the road uh do you see any advancements being made any positive stuff uh no i think we're <laughs> stuck in the ruts and uh we're, we're spinning our wheels uh research wise uh, like i said uh, it's more of tabloid asylum being run by inmates for the most part. Uh, all the attention is people making outrageous claims that they can't back up and people getting suckered by people making out, uh, outrageous claims that are basically you feel like a fool that you believed in it for so long and then you just hope it quietly goes away. Uh, I won't say any names. Uh, Todd Standing. uh, uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, Adrian Erickson. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's a rather small list, list and not. Jump at, at, at any degree to be if you might want to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've mean, like people. They seem to be the last ten years or so. It seems to be dominated by people who make. Almost two people want it to be true so badly that they throw common sense to the wayside. Mm-hmm. And when you mm-hmm. get disappointed, it's like someone punched you in the guts. You know, 
You know, people, people say, oh, we got a body. Oh, yeah. oh can't show it to you now. Oh, <laughs> oh it, it, we, we've lost it. Uh, you, you know, that's the yeah. whole thing. Oh, yeah. we got DNA evidence. Oh, it's been peer-reviewed. Well, I bought the magazine, so that makes it peer-reviewed. No, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> that's one of the biggest uh, issues we have is the whole DNA thing. Um, you can... You can give me DNA results all day long, but until you have a species and it's scientifically verified that it came from that particular species, it doesn't mean a thing. No, it doesn't. Because, quite frankly, a Sasquatch, there's no Sasquatch to compare it to. So we don't even exactly. really know what Sasquatch DNA even looks like. But Mm-mm. if they get something that's obviously higher primate and they can't identify it, well, that's something to hold on to in case something else compares to it. That's why a lot of people were upset with, uh, oh, his name's gone right out of my head. I can't remember it. The professor who did studies and was exposing all these hair samples of being common. Oh. Sykes? Sykes? Yeah, Burton Sykes. Yeah. Yeah, I thought what he did was great. Mm -hmm. Um, We're getting mad. I couldn't believe it. I said, hey, what do you want? Still be deluded by this stuff? If it's not Sasquatch, it's not Sasquatch. If it came from a cow, it came from a cow. What's the problem? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, until we can verify species, uh, and unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of times that means having a specimen, be it dead or alive. And you know, unfortunately, I think that's um, that is a very controversial topic. Oh, of course. Uh, and I'm in the camp that that's what's going to have to happen. I don't mm-hmm. like idea of shooting a Sasquatch, uh, but that's what will have to happen, or finding very significant significant remains, mm-hmm. because that's right. how science works. It's unfortunate. The scientific community does not operate like the legal system. Uh, eyewitness testimony does really doesn't mean very much. Right. They want hard physical evidence, and what hard physical evidence is and they'll tell you this over and over and over again, and no amount of wishful, politically correct thinking is going to change it. They need a body or piece of the body. Nothing else is going to do. Mm-mm. Yeah, that is what will com- confirm that the Sasquatch is indeed a creature of flesh and blood and is here and is not myth and mythology. Thomas, but right. why do you think that science is so, uh, you know, academia in general is so dismissive of of the subject. Uh, you know, obviously eyewitness accounts aren't going to prove it, um, but why do you think they're so dismissive and arrogant at times on the subject, whether it proven real or not? Well, science is, a lot of people have a misconception from science, and it's all popular media's fault. You know, in the 50s, our images of the scientists, a guy in a white coat who would... Mm-hmm. Not stop at anything to find the truth. Well, uh, that's not that's not realistic. Every time someone makes a new discovery, there is some professor with a lot of power who's very upset because he just made his book obsolete. Uh, another thing is science has a perfectly rational reason, a lot of times for ignoring the Sasquatch, and that's because they look at the people involved in the Sasquatch and they're not going to touch that with a ten foot pole. Mm-hmm. Right. And blame them. And who can blame them? All right? Uh, People get money to research things to find out 
facts about things we already know about. No one's going to give a professor money to research something that as far as the government and the vast majority of the population is concerned is nothing but mythology. All right. And you I know, think that's the reason why I don't think we're ever going to have a Jane Goodall approach unless somebody steps up with, you know, yeah. an open wallet that has no end, that somebody that has months and months of time. I mean, it's just it's there's Goodall. so much involved. Remember, Jane Goodall, she studied chimpanzees, but their existence was established long before her, and it was established by someone bringing in the bodies. Right, and I just cannot see anybody... Right. You know, without us having any proof to be out there twenty four seven, three sixty five. Um, you know, you gotta you gotta eat and you gotta pay bills, so yeah. it's it's unfortunate. I mean I'd love to be out there full time, but I gotta I gotta make a living like everybody else and quite frankly Sasquatch uh Research doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I, it, it drains my bank accounts quite often, but it doesn't pay the bills. Uh, I've never. Been <laughs> to I know somebody else like that. Yeah, you know, like, and the people who do these television shows, like, I won't mention any names. Finding Bigfoot. <laughs> uh, let's face it. The, the show's top priority is ratings. Uh-huh. Justifying another season. So they're going to do stupid stuff that makes the whole thing look dumb because that's what the general public wants to see. If they did a show the way I think it should be done, it wouldn't last more than one season because the general public would find it awful boring. Right. Yeah. I mean, they were just up here last June uh, in the Lake Harrison area. Uh, and I, I'm just shaking my head at the stuff they said when the show finally came up. They said they were the first ones to do research in the Cheyenne's Reserve. Oh, really? What have I been doing here the last 25 years? <laughs> Green's doing since the early 60s. I mean, okay, you're the first ones there. Okay. Almost every witnesses, every witness they had in that town hall meeting were people from my files that I asked to go. And they picked, and they picked uh, they picked a few good ones, and they, but there were uh, so many there that were much more convincing. I don't know why they picked the ones they picked, because they filmed an incredible amount of hours just to get that few minutes of footage, you know. And yes, yes. But it's a show. That's it. Entertainment it's a show. Its its main purpose. Not I'm not talking about the cast. I'm talking about the people who produce it, right? Edit and put it together. Their purpose, like the yep. guy told me. The worst thing that could ever happen to us is we find Bigfoot. <laughs> right. Well, Thomas, you wrote a pretty good blog about that whole incident on your um, thomassteenberg.com. Uh, yeah. I read your blog about that event. Yeah. Well, well, you know, it, it, I know I know these guys. The, the only member of the cast I don't know and never met was the woman, Renee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but Matt I've known for a long time. uh James well, Bobo, I've known for a long time, and of course Cliff Brackman, I've known for a long time. Yeah, they they they, they know they do things on that show they they would not do in, uh, on their yeah. own out of the bush, but they do it because that's what the show wants. Because the show is all about entertainment. Matt right. Matt just hopes that maybe they the general population will think a little bit. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, I'll, I'll be, I've been involved personally with the two episodes of Finding Bigfoot. Uh, yeah. I know exactly what it's about. I'm good friends. You know, I'm friends with Cliff. Uh, 
and and you're right. It is an ent- the show is for entertainment. Uh, Cliff, uh, I know Cliff. He's a, a fine researcher, uh, but what the show represents is not his research. Uh, gotcha. You know, All right. That's correct. And they say things on that show. To the cast credit, to their credit. Well, I can't believe we're talking about Finding Bigfoot, but anyway. Right. The cast cast credit, after the first season, they put their foot down and said, we're not participating in any absolute non-question hoaxing here, because some of the people in the background were doing things that the cast didn't Mm -hmm. like. It's hoaxing, no matter how you look at it. And they put their foot down and said, they won't tolerate that. Mm-hmm. You gotta give them credit for that. Once again, it is a TV show uh, that needs ratings, right. and so they have to, you know, uh, they get paid to do it and travel. Fun, uh, not really my gig, not something I, I would personally like to do uh, as a full-time job. But I don't hold it against anybody. It's you know, uh, when it, when I get to see these individuals uh, in the field and uh, and get to get their knowledge, uh, uh, it's it's pretty amazing. I believe we lost. Thomas. Julie, uh, we lost Thomas. If he calls back in, Thomas, if you're listening, call back in. We'll take you right back. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Fine Bigfoot's just a it's – a, it's an entertainment show. They do get some interesting town hall um, people that would some – you know, and, and they do reach out to other researchers like, your, you know, Thomas and whatnot to get some uh, individuals in there to share their encounters. I mean, that's how the show works. Uh, it's not just like a bunch of random people all the time, though you do get those people – they do reach out and get to um, local researchers to bring in some credible witnesses. So it's not just a bunch of uh, people making up stuff all the time, per se. Right. So, right. but um, yeah. Uh, hopefully, Tom's calls back in. I wanted to touch upon some of his books, um, but yeah, uh, that's so what far, I was you know, asking about. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got you know he's written three books and collaborated with others uh, um, on some books. That uh, you know, in some of those books, uh, you know, Thomas has written uh, *In Search of Giants*, *Bigfoot Sasquatch Encounters*. He's written uh, the book called *The Sasquatch in Alberta*, *Sasquatch Bigfoot: The, the Continuing Mystery*, um, and he's collaborated on books uh, *Meet the Sasquatch*, *Sasquatch in British Columbia*. Uh, so he's uh, he's not just a field researcher and whatnot, and a historian. He's worked with a lot of the uh, a lot of individuals that are well known in the Bigfoot world. Um, mm-hmm. And some involvement with academia, but he's also authored books, uh, and uh, some of those I, you know, I highly recommend. Uh, and um, you know, Thomas is a quite, uh, you know, an amazing individual. Um, here he's calling back yeah. in. I'm going to take him now. Okay, great. Yeah. Hey, hey Thomas, what lost you for a second. Oh, jeez, I'm there I'm talking about. <laughs> Okay, they hung up on me. <laughs> uh, men in black, they kicked you off. They weren't liking what you were saying. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the fighting paper people got to you. They pulled the plug. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, but Thomas, we were gonna, we were gonna, we were start chatting about some of your books that you have written. You know, I mentioned, you know, uh, some of the you both written books and collaborated in books. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. books like um, that you have written, In Search of Giants, Bigfoot, Sasquatch Encounters, uh, The Sasquatch in Alberta. Sasquatch Bigfoot, the Canoe Mystery, and um, and others like you know they collaborated on like Meet the Sasquatch, Sasquatch in British Columbia. Uh, you got uh, talk a little bit about some of these books, how they came to be, and, and do you have any other books on the horizon? Uh, I, I'm not. I haven't got anything in the works. 
but there's always the possibility there will be more. Okay, um, good. I, I, I don't know. I, I begin to think that maybe people are getting tired of reading this type of book. Uh, mm. They do. I don't know. And uh, and the publishers are getting into these e-books now and other things. I don't, I don't know. And, of course, David Hancock, a publisher, he's getting old, so he, he's slowing down. Uh, well, you know what I would like to see, Thomas, would be um, a blog or a written book, however you – of um, – Stories from the old days, you mm-hmm. know. I would like to see something like that, and um, you know that way I can have it. I, I'd like to see it in a book form, actually, because I, I have all your other books. Um, but uh, that would be awesome to hear some of the stories of the old days with the dynamics between everybody that you know that were the forefathers of the research. And so I, I'm sure you have some very interesting stories you could tell. <laughs> oh yeah. And maybe some you can't sell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a few, a few I, I won't mention. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, have you ever thought about doing something like that, putting all that history that's in your head down in, in writing? Well, to be honest with you, that's an interesting idea. I, I've, I've never really thought of doing a book on the Sasquatch mystery where the main topic is of the creature itself and the. And the evidence of it. I've never thought of doing something I want on, you know, myself and my research and the people I've associated with. Well, never... I think the history of all of it is very, yeah. very fascinating, and I, um, I hate to see all of that go, you know, by the wayside. It, it definitely needs to be put down in a, in a book, I think, because people like myself and and Shane and all of us, we, you know, we. Um, we also researched the um, the beginners of this whole thing and why why it became popular and, and who had the first encounter and what about the Patty film and, you know, all that. And we'd love it's to hear important. the stories behind all that. Uh-huh. That's my favorite part, actually, is to uh-huh. hear the stories at the beginning of it. Uh, in other words, well, if you don't understand where you're coming from, you understand where you're going, and that's why it's important to me to understand and to look at some of the research and the personalities that were, in, you know, what they were doing and what they've done to uh, better my research. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a simple person, uh, you know, but there there are many others that have done some really good stuff and done some wrong stuff. I want to learn both aspects, and so a book like that would be fantastic. Uh, you know, especially being on the inside. And around uh, those years, uh, you know, when when this was, uh, there was no social media. Right, right. Would you like me to give you a piece of advice to to ensure that your future research is good research? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Stick the facts and never (laughs) deep. Yeah, there you go. You're right, Thomas. You're right. Uh, you're speaking. You're speaking a foreign language to me right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't go off on wild speculation. That's the, the, the <laughs> number one thing everybody should concentrate on, but only a small handful do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's yeah, it's true, fun. and it's unfortunate because yeah. no, it, I, people, you know, I learn. Like, you got to mm-hmm. learn as you go, and and you really, I, I really feel sorry for someone just coming into this today, 
because there is so much stuff that's dumped on your head, and you're trying to sort out what's good, what's bad, what's nonsense, what may be true, what's a good hypothesis, what's just absolute out there, incredible foolishness, you know, and there's so much of it, especially with the Internet, because let's face it, it has been... It is the the internet is a great tool, but it's also the worst thing in many ways that ever happened to this research because it is a soapbox for every snake oil salesman out there. Right, it is, and that's why I like the older book. Yeah, you You know, know, now to to string people along. Uh, There's so many people out there who just want their 15 minutes of fame or uh, a lot longer than that. And they'll they'll say anything uh, and create any scenario in order to achieve that. It's unfortunate, but it's reality. But that's why a book like that would be important for historically uh, representing the facts or, uh, you know, whatnot. Because a lot of people claim that some of this New Age stuff, uh, some of the stuff that's uh, really... Uh, beyond paranormal in a lot of ways uh, was oh it happened back then it's happened, it's but really in reality at least I, as I have found and I'm not witness is that uh, it is uh, new um, this stuff has not been going on uh, reports didn't reflect that mm-hmm. no yeah the, you know reports will go on because uh, well I think if if it was established if, now that the Sasquatch does not exist and never did. It's mythology. Because of the popularity of the subject of the whole, and the fact is it's now uh, considered um, by so many people to be cool to say you saw Bigfoot, we'd still get people reporting it. Right. That's true. They're making it up, and we know it. Yeah. No, that's a great point. People were afraid to come forward when they saw something because you you didn't want to be called a liar. Right, or worse, you know, a lunatic or... Yeah, that's, that's a that's really good point. disservice to this research that has come about because of things like the Internet and television programs that are there to entertain rather than do serious research. And, and there's so many of them now. We were talking about finding Bigfoot, but there there are things out there now that are getting so much attention that, are, that make finding Bigfoot look like the Smithsonian. Uh, <laughs> you know, basically, the only way to describe him is Duck Dynasty meets Bigfoot. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. To play devil's advocate a little bit, though, I love your point about I loved your point about you know people in the past being afraid to come out. But do you think with some of the with uh, the popularity of Bigfoot and Sasquatch, do you think it's made it easier for truthful people to come forward and be accepted? Uh, I, I think it makes it harder for them to be uh, proven um, no, that they really had an encounter. It makes it really hard on researchers and those interested in the subject. But do you think it's made it easier? Easier for them to come forward and report it. What they have difficulty is who they report it to. Ah, because yeah. they have no yeah. way of knowing who is a, 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 a true, honest researcher and who's just some clown trying to be Mulder and Scully from the X-Files. The latest one happened on the 22nd of January, and he only found out by me because someone saw one of my books in a store, and he gave me a call and told me about what happened, Uh, and 
he could have just easily got on the Internet and got a hold of one of the crackpots that are out there or the inmates of the asylum and end up being led down astray saying, oh, you probably saw an interdimensional. And that happens so much. You know, the witnesses, or the, and the witness gets frustrated and says, what am I talking to these idiots for? Clunk, phone goes down. That's it. Yeah, um, and that, that happens a lot, too. I mean, it's, the problem isn't the witnesses. The problem is the Sasquatch field itself. It's the researchers or people who call themselves that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest problem. It's the asylum, inmates running the asylum. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that getting to ridiculous, out-of-control proportions. I used to say back in the old days, at least we're not as bad as the UFO crowd, but we, we are. Oh, Lord. We are now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we knew when I started, the we knew all the nuts. Yeah, a book for the witnesses would be a fantastic book, uh, given, yeah. you know, the history um, so that, you know, that they can re- look back and if they've had an encounter, you know, a book for the witnesses or those that have had legitimate encounters to look at to uh, maybe get a be- better feel where to go and where to reach out to instead of every, like you said, um, um, researchers really are a dime a dozen nowadays or so-called researchers or those interested or those just out for fame. They're a dime a dozen, and it's hard to get through this cesspool, you know, and get to uh, somewhere positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe uh, you. that's the, a, a, a book, book needs on... to be written. <laughs> but then again, someone, if I were to do a book on that, I'd naturally use my own standards of eyewitness credibility, and a lot of people in the field would say I'm being narrow-minded of doing that, and I should include all these other stories that I think are nonsense, but they think are real, and so on and so forth. So it's it's basically the same debate, no matter what you do or who does it. Yeah, science doesn't care about narrow-mindedness, though. I mean, it's just, uh, oh. you know, and that's, you know, what it's going to take is, is you know, mm-hmm. legitimate uh, research and... And establish facts and fine-tuning them. That's the way science works. Uh, there, there are some brave souls who have paid a price, who are what you would call legitimate biologists or zoologists and stuff, like the late um, Vladimir Markotic, the late Grover Krantz, uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum now, Dr. John Bindenagel, so on and so forth, uh, Brian Ikes. They've all taken a lot of heat from their their academic colleagues for just having an interest in this subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Yeah, one comes and to it, mind like John Mindzinski, uh, a guy to put a yeah, credible amount of stuff on help, the line. Yeah, it doesn't help them much with, uh, when when their colleagues look in the media and there's a big news story about Adrian Erickson, who won't reveal his. His groundbreaking new video he's come across showing a Sasquatch. When he does, it looks like a Chewbacca mask. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't help, does it? Uh, no, it does not help. And it doesn't yeah. help people who claim to be scientists, and they're really not, claiming that they have peer review when they really don't, and claiming they have evidence they actually don't have. You know, and it goes right. on, it's on for weeks before people start to realize they're pulling our chains. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's been a it's lot a, of that. It's truly an amazing and controversial 
exciting and sometimes depressing field to be in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It's made me age before my time, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I yeah. find it well, fascinating because the possibility yeah. of this species existence just uh, I'm obsessed with it. I can't let it go. i got to find out one way or the other. Hell, if I ever get a good look at one, I may be just happy and saying, well, I was right. And not do anything more on it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, know. Well, Thomas, uh, we're down to a couple minutes here. Uh, where can people buy your books and, uh, you know, and, and look into uh, some of your blogs and whatnot? Oh, well, my, my blog site is www.thomassteenberg.com. Okay. Okay. And and uh, my books, well, the Alberta book, that's been out of print for years. That's almost considered an antique now. I even heard someone was selling it on uh, uh, for a copy of it for over 100 bucks. Hell, I used to charge 4 bucks for it. Wow. The Alberta <laughs> It's it's been out of print for a long time. I only have one copy myself, and if you ever get your hands on one, keep it. Uh, the the continuing mystery book in search of giants they're still available in stores from uh, and from Hancock House Publishers, and of course the books I I helped put together co-authored like Meet the Sasquatch and uh, the Sasquatch in British Columbia which is the most recent one, they're still available. They're all done by Hancock House Publishers. All my books have been done by Hancock House Publishers, except for the Alberta book, which was done by Western Publishers, which has been out of business now for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Yeah. Well, Thomas, I uh, want to thank you uh, for joining us tonight. Yeah. It's been a fascinating and very interesting uh, show. I know Julie and myself enjoyed it, and I know our uh, awesome. listeners have enjoyed it. Well, I'm very happy. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Time went by fast. I still sure don't know is. how I got off from you a little while ago. Well, it's still very refreshing. On, yeah. I still think the Fighting Bigfoot people sabotage us there. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. maybe we won't have you back on. Nah. We'd yeah, love to have you back on great. down the road here, Thomas. <laughs> We'd love it. We appreciate it so much. I'm, I'm very glad I got to speak with you tonight. You're very welcome, my dear. You're very welcome. Like I said, stick to the facts, never deviate the facts, and uh, keep looking, people, because there's got to be an answer one way or the other. All right. Thank you, Thomas. Have a great evening, and uh, look forward to having you on the show down the road. Roger that, Chief. All right. All right. Take care. Hey, thank you, Julie, for joining me tonight. Uh, uh, You did a fantastic job and uh, really enjoyed talking to Thomas. Uh, And... uh, for all the listeners out there, thank you for listening yeah. uh, once again thank to uh, another edition of Monster X Radio. We will uh, see you guys all next week. Uh, Gunnar Monson will be back as myself. And thank you again, Julie. Everybody have a great oh, yeah. night. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. You're welcome. Bye-bye.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.